This is Chris Casey, Managing Director with Windrock Wealth Management. Today we're pleased to have Adrian Day join us. Adrian is a British-born writer and money manager, a graduate of the London School of Economics and president of his own money management firm, Adrian Day Asset Management, where he specializes in global diversification and resource equities. Adrian also manages the Europac Gold Fund, the top performing gold fund in the first half of this year. And Adrian, correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked at at it earlier today, I think it was up 112% year to date. Does that sound about right? Um, that sounds about right, but I try not to. I try not to get too excited day by day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adrian's also been a frequent guest on CNBC and Wall Street Journal Radio. In addition to his two books on global investing, his latest book is Investing in Resources: How to Profit from the Outsized Potential and Avoid the Risks. So, Adrian, today we're obviously here to talk about gold. Um, Maybe we should start off with the most basic of questions. What, why should people consider owning physical gold? Well, um, thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, good to be here. You know, that's an excellent question, and, and sometimes we, as you say, we don't get back to basics. You know, I think people people should own physical gold primarily and, and first of all as an insurance policy. Gold is an insurance on the rest of on the rest of an account, uh, and gold tends to perform well in terms of crisis and turmoil when other things are not doing well and and um, you know people often think of it as an inflation but in fact it's it's not only an inflation hedge or not primarily an inflation hedge in, in my view it's a hedge against monetary instability and and you know inflation can lead to monetary instability but sharp deflations um, are also positive for gold would you agree that we probably just saw that with the aftermath of the Brexit vote from a few weeks ago? Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. People are concerned about the uncertainty, and you know, Brexit um, does have a certain degree of, of of uncertainty about it. No question. I, I think a lot of the predictions are grossly, um, uh, you know, over overdone. To be honest. Uh, but but certainly there's uncertainty and there's uncertainty for Europe and that's a positive for gold and gold has performed this function you know for many many um, thousands of years this isn't new uh, so so that's the primary reason in my view you know gold everyone it's in the news right now and a lot of people are starting to talk about it simply because of its massive appreciation this year so we have gold up depending on how you measure it, I'm guessing around 25%, and, and silver's up even more, about 45%. Um, what's behind these dramatic moves in 2016 alone? Is it is it solely the uncertainty, or are there other factors at play? Oh, there's certainly other factors. I mean, first of all, I mean, let's talk about why gold is up, but then also why it's up so much. Um, I, I think the monetary situation is, and the monetary is definitely is definitely a key component. And when you think back to uh, December, the Federal Reserve increased uh, the Fed funds rate for the first time in many years in December, and they actually out they actually predicted the Fed Open Market Committee itself predicted four more interest rate hikes this year, and they started backpedaling on that very very soon. And I mean that's that's clearly not going to happen. Um, and so I think the market is saying, 
Well, money's going to remain easy for longer than we thought. But more than that, I think the market is beginning to realize that the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world really are not in control. And I would go even, if they ever have been, and I would go even further and say that the Fed, particularly under Bernanke and Yellen, really has no clue what they're doing. That sounds a very extreme statement. Um, but, but I would say that they're really clueless about how what does, what's really going on in the, in the economy, but how to deal with it, um, and their power to deal with it. So I, I think people are beginning to realize that the emperor has no clothes, and that's very, very positive for gold. Because gold is really the antithesis of central banking. Uh, Greenspan used to famously say that he watched gold as a, bar as a barometer of how well, he, how well he was doing. And if gold was going up, he knew he wasn't doing a very good job. But as long as gold stays subdued, he thought, you know, everybody likes what he's doing. What, what do you what do you advise? I know you can't give particular investment advice to any listeners of this podcast, but in general, what do you think is a healthy uh, allocation in anyone's portfolio for gold and, and maybe gold and its associated products like gold stocks? You know, I think an awful lot depends on on the client. That's obvious. Um, I'll make two broad comments. One is, if you're looking at physical gold as insurance then the question is how much insurance do you need and just as different people at different stages of their life and in different circumstances need different amounts of life insurance let's say uh, different people in different financial situations need different amounts of financial um, insurance and you know if, 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 if you've got 75% of your portfolio I had a gentleman once 75% of his portfolio was was basically treasuries, municipals, and bank CDs, did I think 25% of his account was too much for gold stocks? And I said, well, not if 75% is in treasuries and cash, you know. So a lot depends on how much insurance you need. Beyond that, when you get to the stocks, you and I both know the gold stocks are very, very volatile. Inherently volatile, both on a long term and on a short term. And you cannot avoid it. People try to avoid it by using sell stops and um, buying puts and doing all sorts of things. But um, but but they are volatile, both on a long term and on a short term basis. And but the answer to the question, in our in answer to the question, I would ask another question, which is, you know, how how well do you sleep at night, basically? And 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 a person's got to really ask understand and ask themselves if they can live with volatility. Some people can live with volatility, and if you can, and the rest of your portfolio is relatively conservative, and you don't need the money immediately for anything, you know, you're not going to need the money on a moment's notice. Um, you know, I have no objection if people have 25% of their portfolio in, in gold stocks. But if you're a nervous Nelly and, and you're constantly needing little bits of money from your account for this emergency or that emergency, you don't want to be exposed to volatile stocks. So, you know, it's difficult to answer a question without knowing a person's circumstances. But but right now, I don't know about you, Chris, but right now, if, from an investment point of view, I would say if we look ahead two or three years, 
I would say the gold stocks are probably likely, and I emphasize probably, probably likely to be, you know, one of, if not the best performing asset class over the next, you know, one, two, three years. And um, silver stocks may do better, but as a broad category for precious metals. And if, if that's the case, you know, you want a fairly healthy allocation. Right. I, I think we would agree here at Windrock. The well, one other thing, if I may, sorry. When you asked me about gold appreciation, what's behind it, uh, you, you know, I mentioned the monetary, uh, monetary situation. But the other thing, why gold has moved quite so far, so, so quickly, is simply because so many people, retail and institutional, are underweight gold. And that is a very, very big factor that should not be ignored. So a lot of people say to me now, oh, gee, Mr. Day, have I missed the rally? Not at all, not at all. This is just the beginning. And you look at gold's resilience this year. We haven't had a decent pullback or correction uh, since gold uh, took off uh, at the you know end of December, uh, and that's because there's so there's so much pent up buying. I think. I'm sorry, Chris. I had to throw that in. No problem. Let's let's talk about someone that that's thinking about buying gold and has never done it before. Maybe you could kind of walk us through the decision tree someone faces. So. In my mind, if, if someone's going to buy gold, they first have to decide, determine whether or not they want to own physical, let's say, versus something, the so-called paper gold, something that mimics the price of gold, like certain gold ETFs. And then it becomes a decision of, okay, if I am going to own physical, what form do I own? Is it bullion? Is it coin? If it, if it is coins, which kind? And finally, where do I physically hold it? Could you kind of walk us through that kind of decision tree for, for a new buyer? Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, I would say to start, um, one should always start with um, uh, as close to pure physical gold as you can get. Um, and every, every time you deviate from pure physical gold, you are taking on some kind of additional risk in addition to the price. You're taking on some kind of risk. Now, if you buy, you know, what are called bullion coins, you're taking a very, very, very small risk in addition to physical, you know, bars. In fact, physical uh, bullion coins are really the same as physical bars. Um, but if you're buying, um, you know, as you deviate from, from physical gold, you take on a risk. If you buy a gold ETF, for example, and I am not as nervous of, of the of the, of the gold ETFs as some people are. But if you buy a, a gold ETF, you're clearly taking on some risk. Um, there's costs, additional costs over the cost of just storing and insuring bullion. There's a, an additional cost which comes from, you know, the very small management fees that the ETF charges. But you're also taking the risk that the gold may not be there, it may not be there when you want it. Um, you know, maybe, etc. If the government wanted to confiscate gold, they know where the ETF gold is held. They may not know where your gold is held, etc. And the further you get away from that, numismatic coins, in a very general sense, will go up and down with the price of gold over a five or ten year period. But but they can have very very exaggerated moves based on the rarity factor, um, and and so on. And the same with obviously gold stocks, you're taking on management risk and everything else. So I always say to people, start with physical gold, and if you can afford it, buy, buy, you know, buy, buy, buy physical bars of gold. The storage is a different issue, you have to store it somewhere, 
and, and wherever you store it has a risk. But, um, and, and then if you can't afford that, buy some physical coins, you know, one ounce coins, half ounce coins. Um, and, and only deviate from that once you've actually got the physical gold. Great. Well, let's talk about, you mentioned the gold stock several times. And you mentioned they're more volatile than, than gold itself. I mean, if you look at this year, you know, a lot, number of gold stocks are up maybe 100% year to date. And meanwhile, as we mentioned before, gold's up, you know, a small fraction of that, 25% or so. So why is it that gold stocks are more volatile and a lot of times appreciate uh, far greater than the actual price of gold does? Sure. Um, there's two main reasons. The, main, the primary reason is the leverage. And when, if you think of it um, very simply, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it very simplistically so that people really get it. If you have a if you have a gold company that is producing gold at eleven hundred dollars an ounce, that's their cost. It costs me eleven hundred dollars an ounce to produce the gold. If the price of gold goes from eleven hundred or ten fifty to eleven fifty, they've suddenly gone from a negative fifty, from a fifty dollar loss to a fifty dollar profit. That is tremendous um, leverage. And all of the gold stocks have leverage, whatever their costs are, whatever their balance sheet is like, and so on. Um, they, they do have real, genuine leverage over the price of gold. In addition to that, however, there's also the fact that the stock market tends to look ahead. So people buy gold stocks uh, because they're optimists. Uh, I often like to joke, but you wouldn't buy a gold stock if you weren't an optimist. Um, but people are looking ahead. So if the price of gold today, you know, if the price of gold, um, you know, has gone up from whatever, from 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 1050 to you know 13, let's say 1330, um, that's what the price of gold today is, 1330. But if you buy a gold stock, you're thinking, well, it's 1330 today, but it's going to be 1500 by the end of the year. You know, you're looking ahead. And so the gold stocks build in some of that blue sky, some of that optimism. So you have the real financial leverage, plus you have the blue sky. And that's why the gold stocks tend to do better, tend to outperform both on the upside and the downside, unfortunately. And should people be concerned if there is a, if they view the general stock markets or are somewhat overvalued and if there is a decline, that that will somehow impact gold stocks in general as well? Good question. Gold stocks are both gold-related assets and their stocks, right? Um, and they can react to both gold and they can react to the stock market. What I have found, generally speaking, is that if you have a sharp pullback in the broad market, um, gold and gold stocks will tend to go up if they were relatively undervalued beforehand, and they will tend to go down if they were relatively overvalued beforehand, and they will go down with the rest of the market. Um, I think a, I think a, the, the worst, I mean, and, and the other factor would be if it's a very sharp break, then everything tends to go down. Expensive stocks, cheap stocks. Gold stocks, you know, everything goes down if it's a sharp break. But if it's a longer, steady decline, um, you know, you you find you often find investors looking for good opportunities. 
And if gold holds its own, then people will typically move into gold stocks. It's interesting where we are right now, because right now, I mean, last year, all of last year, I could say, I'm not worried about that because, you know, the gold stocks have started off cheap. I think if we have a stock market break, the gold stocks won't get much cheaper. Right now, after we've had to run, I think, I think people should, investors should be alert to a sharp break in the stock market. That would probably hurt the gold stocks, at least initially. Um, but then the other factor, of course, that comes into play is why did the stock market, uh, you know, go down? Why did it crack? And what frequently happens, of course, is everything goes down when you have a stock market crack, and then two or three days later, gold goes up because people realize they need insurance. Um, and the gold stocks sometimes follow that or often follow that, you know, but with a lag. Well, let's talk about silver a little bit. We, we mentioned briefly uh, about silver. It's it's up more than gold this year, probably about 45% to gold's 25%. You had mentioned silver stocks. Why? Do, what is the different dynamics between gold and silver, and why should people think about one versus the other? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I you know, silver is obviously a precious metal, but it's also an in, much more of an industrial metal than than um, uh, gold is. And there's different dynamics, both on the supply side and the demand side. On the on the demand side, it's pretty obvious that most of silver's demand is industrial, end-use industrial, whereas very little of gold's ultimate demand is is industrial. Um, that's on the demand side, but and everybody knows that, that. But on the supply side, a lot of people aren't aren't, aren't aware that over seventy percent of silver supply comes from um, as a byproduct of other base metal mining. So you might have a tin mine, for example, or a lead mine that produces a bunch of silver as a byproduct. That's less common with gold. You do, of course, have copper mines, large copper mines that produce gold as a byproduct. But 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 most of gold's production comes from primary um, uh, gold gold mines, whereas the vast majority, over 70% of silver, comes as a byproduct. And what that means is important, because what it means is that the the supply of silver doesn't respond to price signals. Because if the price of silver goes up a lot, well, the guy that's producing tin doesn't decide to produce twice as much tin so he can sell his byproduct silver, right? He produces tin based on lead based on the, based on, I should be saying lead, not tin, lead, nickel, these are often mines with byproduct silver. So if you're, if you're, if you're a, a lead producer, um, and the price of lead goes up, you produce more lead, regardless of what's happening to the price of silver. So silver supply doesn't respond to the um, uh, changes in price, uh, certainly not to the same extent and not as quickly. So the dynamics are different. Um, typically, however, typically, if you look back over you know, 30 years or something, typically silver tends to have more leverage on the upside. It tends to move further and faster in, in, in strong markets. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, there's, there's less secondhand silver to come on the market. So whereas with gold, if you have a strong price move up, people can 
you know, go to go to the, you know, you do get more um, more more uh, scrap coming onto the market, which helps uh, you know fill the supply gap. You don't get so much of that with silver. No, and then, of course, the unit price of silver is so much less. So when the precious metals move, people go to the coin shop and say, I'd like to buy an ounce of gold, and they say $1,500. And they say, what? $1,500? I thought it was 400 Oh, well, I'll buy some silver instead. So people, you know, silver is much more accessible to people. Yeah, I think everyone can appreciate that there's, there's not this, unlike gold, this overhang of, of silver supply that could come on the market from scrap. I mean, everyone in their neighborhood sees those, you know, will trade dollars for gold stores, but there's, you never see will trade dollars for silver stores. So that's, I think that's. No. Yeah, and I, central banks, of course, central banks at the moment are buying gold and I'm not overly worried about central banks at the moment, but central banks have a lot of gold uh, in storage. Very few central banks hold any silver. Uh, and so that's another potential source of, of supply that exists for gold that doesn't doesn't exist for silver. Well, and I think you brought up a good a great point about mine production from silver in, the, in in that it'll be especially pronounced if we have tell me if I'm correct here an inflationary recession where you have a, a spiking demand for silver at the same time the recession drives down the the prices and thus the production of base metals that are the that that silver is a byproduct of. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, the converse is also true. If you have a very strong economy, but a, a good demand for gold and silver for whatever reason, let's say an inflationary, but a good a good economy, then the production of base metals goes up and with it, the production of, of silver. So yeah, you're, abs you're absolutely correct there. Well, Adrian, thanks for spending some time with us today. If you'd like, I mean, please let us know or let the audience know. Uh, you know, if you have a website associated with your mutual fund for gold mutual fund or anything else, gold ETF or anything else like that. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Let me mention just two websites then since you brought it up. The first one would be for our company, which is uh, quite simple, adriandade.com, um, A-D-R-I-A-N-D-A-Y.com. And then for the mutual fund, they would have to go to europacificfunds.com, europacificfunds.com. I appreciate that, Chris. All right, Adrian. Well, thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you.